0: Well, good morning Greenwich and welcome to the Thursday, September 14th edition of the Basement Academy. Our morning psalm is one that might have a little ring of familiarity. We've, we've read this a number of times over the last uh, few years. Um, it's not a particularly easy or happy psalm, but it's an important psalm. So Psalm 14 for the Director of Music, a Psalm of David. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. Their deeds are vile. There is no one who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the sons of men to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. All have turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There was no one who does good, not even one. Will evildoers never learn, those who devour my people as men eat bread and who do not call on the Lord? There they are, overwhelmed with dread, for God is present in the company of the righteous. You evildoers frustrate the plans of the poor, but the Lord is their refuge. Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion. When the Lord restores the fortunes of his people, let Jacob rejoice and Israel be glad. Psalm 14. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. So we might look at that and say, it's the atheist, talking about the atheist. And there is a folly to that, right? But I think there's a place for humility when we read this and acknowledge that in each of us, there are, what I've heard long ago, someone described pockets of atheism. Now, I fully believe God. I believe the scriptures. I believe God, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Jesus is the Savior. God is the creator. That is what I believe. But there are moments in time when I behave as if there is no God. I'm gripped by some anxiety or fear when I'm told not to fear. There's an uncertain future in some way, and I'm anxious about that, and I'm told not to be anxious about tomorrow, right? And so, I am, am, we are, like uh, the person in the gospels who said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And so, rather than seeing this psalm, you know, strictly through the eyes of looking at other people, their lives are messed up because they are foolish and they don't believe in God. I think a better way of praying, at least for me, the better way of praying this is, yes, there may be people out there, but Lord, keep me from the folly of not believing there's a God at this place, that place, or another place in, in my life. So anyway, not, not, not a sermon, just a thought, right? Okay. Um, continuing on really been reflecting on love for the th- last three days and I think in some ways I, I maybe landed the plane and so I think what I want to do today uh, offer a quote by G.K. Chesterton a, a great saint of a century ago and it kind of maybe segues from the last couple days' reflections on love into what essentially will offer some closing thoughts as we close out the series today and tomorrow. Chesterton wrote this, The Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. It's a little bit of a play on words, right? But people tend to think about Christianity, oh yeah, we tried that and it's, it, it lacks, it falls short. It, it, it's not a intellectually credible or whatever. It doesn't, doesn't satisfy. So the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult <laughs> and left untried. This call to love, that 1 Corinthians 13, the call to love the neighbor, the one who places the burden on us, is real. Somewhere along the way, uh, some version of Christianity snuck into the American church. I, I can't speak to any other place where the church is found. But somewhere we got the idea in the American church that Christianity, the Christian life is, we could say love, was somehow kind of easy. And when, we, when it's hard, when, when confronting our sins, confronting our own realities, when we're, you know, church doesn't do everything I want it to do, so I quit church and I go to another church or I just quit church altogether. Well, who thinks that's the solution, right? Where in scripture do we find quit your church, right? And so I think Chesterton's um, little aphorism here I think is helpful as we think about the gender justice, gender ideology, gender identity movement that is upon us in our society and as pressing upon the church in many ways and and the church not just institutionally but but you know we ourselves as members of the body of Christ and so Jesus offered full disclosure in the gospels unless you take up your cross and follow me unless you deny yourself uh, let, let me read it from Luke Chapter 9, verse 23. Then he said to them all, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. Those great paradoxes. We we die to live. We try to hold on to our life and we die. And so it's this notion of surrendering our lives to God. And so denying ourselves that this living well, living faithfully, living in this moment of our society, our culture, and the pressures it's bringing to us, the challenge to love our gender non-conforming friends, neighbors, loved ones, and those who advocate, the love of these folks is not going to be easy. It's simple. That is, it's, 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 it's just really clear that that's what we're supposed to do. It's simple, but it's not easy. That is, it requires effort. And it's gonna require us to change. It's gonna require us to examine our hearts. It's gonna require us to deny ourselves in some ways. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't do it. So, so just because the Christian life, the Christian ideal has been found difficult, don't leave it untried. Press on in this work, okay? So, so let me offer some, a, a few closing thoughts today and I'll, I'll offer a few more uh, tomorrow. Um, and there'll be some things probably left hanging out there that I, I, I wish I had gotten to. The first is to beware of presbyopia. Okay, there's a weird word. Presbyopia. Presby is from the Greek word presbyteros, where we get our notion of the elder the older ones. So presby refers to older. Opia, like optic nerves, the ability to see or our eyes. Old eyes. Beware of old eyes. Presbyopia is a medical condition, the inability to see what's right in front of you because of the age of your eyes. And so we all go through this, right? And so I'm wearing glasses and my you know, my eye doctor, I'm, I'm saying, why are they changing? He says, well, how old are you? He says, and he just kind of looks at me like, okay, you know, when you're that age, this is what happens to your eyes, right? And so presbyopia, it's a physical medical condition, but I would offer to you that it's a spiritual condition of the human family as well. The inability to see things right in front of us without trying to come across, I don't want to be sanctimonious, holier than thou or snarky. How can we not see what's right in front of us? Now, I, like, like many, have the practice of reading through the scriptures, reading through the whole Bible in a year. Roughly four chapters a day will get you there, okay? And so early on in the year, I just start in Genesis and work to Revelation. Uh, I'm in Amos right now. Early-ish in the year, I get to the Kings and the Chronicles, the the narratives, the history books. And along the way, you learn that Israel turns to the, the gods of the surrounding nations, and one in particular is Molech, and they sacrifice their children. They burn their children to Molech, believing that somehow in that offer of the child, Good things will happen to them, and the nature of idolatry is that you're actually trying to control the action. You know, if I do this, then I I get this back. Okay, it's it's kind of a quid pro quo, quid pro quo, uh, with the alleged or you know God, the, the false God. And every time I read about child sacrifice and and the burning of the flesh and and how. You know, God detested it and the prophets railed against it. But the people put up with it, and the priesthood and the leaders, and maybe not everybody, but, but it happened. And I go, how in the world could God's people have done that? How could this nation who knew right from wrong have done this? Well, they did. And then I look at what's happening in our own society and in our world, but predominantly now in our own society because the European countries have turned away from the transitioning of minors. The the customary protocol... As I understand, it, it was known as watchful waiting. A young child experiences gender dysphoria, a minor under 18. They, they feel this incongruence. It has to have shown up early for it to be diagnosed as true gender dysphoria, not rapid onset gender dysphoria, as, as we talked about in our questions last week, not the social contagion version of it, but a true gender dysphoria. And the idea is that as a child goes through puberty, the vast majority of those, the term is desist. They, they, they stop thinking they need to identify differently. They go through puberty. They, they, they work with therapy. So it's talk therapy and the conversation. Well, all of a sudden, we've changed the protocols and we're medically transitioning minors uh, at significant rates. And, and, the, and the, the, the slope upward on this is significant in the United States, even though our European friends have changed their protocols. They led the way in medical transitioning of, of, of children. And I I've, I've thought, how could Israel not have seen that they were destroying children? How can we not see what we're doing in our society? But it happens. There's a herd mentality, the elites. So it was the priesthood and the leaders and the kings and others, those who had leadership. And the people can't do much once the leadership goes. And so in our own society, medical, governmental, law, education is falling to this gender ideology movement. And, and if you try to speak up against it, you get silenced or worse, right? You know, there's some repercussions for people. I can still speak because of the nature of the church. Um, environment. Beware of presbyopia, the inability to see the thing that's right in front of you, that our eyes are old. That is the old ways of sin. The old ways of human autonomy are coming back. It's the old way of the Babel project. We will take control of our lives. We will make a name for ourselves. We will build a tower and we will reach heavens and we will be as gods. And I fear, and I, and so I'm, I'm not trying to, I, I said, I'm not trying to be snarky, judgmental, but it, I'm sure it's going to sound like that. Certainly somebody sounded the alarm back in the day. And I'm not the only one saying these things. Of course, there are many right now who are, who are crying out against this medical protocol <clears throat> I've heard it said that essentially, until the lawsuits start coming against the doctors, against the therapists and the others who, who advocate for this and start, you know, those who are ruining the children's lives, until the lawsuit starts coming, this thing won't turn around. So let's pray for the lawsuits to start coming, okay? So, <clears throat> but, so I'm taking a kind of a medical term, but really applying it theologically. The old ways of human autonomy are just on display. And so it's the old eyes that have, you know, shaped by the, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil are rising in ascendancy. So beware presbyopia, the inability to see the thing that's right in front of us. And I pray that God will give us new eyes to see, not old eyes, but new eyes to see. Oh my goodness, look at what's happening. And so for school boards and doctors and therapists and others, May God give our society new eyes to see the harm that is being done to these young people. Um, this, the second is I don't think I've answered this directly, just quite like this. But my son, daughter, friend, neighbor, coworker is gay or trans or non-binary or 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 you know has adopted a, a, a non-conforming identity, has changed their pronouns, etc. So this has happened. What do I do? What do I say? Great question. It's important. Well, the first thing you do, pray. Okay, so 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 call out to God, who made that person whom you care about, and pray for God to give them eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart that comes to rest in God. We are restless. Our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. And so underneath the dysphoria is a restlessness, okay? For a gay person, I think the answer is to live a life of celibacy. There may always be that same-sex attraction. And so the same as a heterosexual individual who might long to be married, the scripture would call for celibacy there's there's no there's no shame in that there's no dishonor in fact it may be a gift okay and so if your child is gay then pray they be celibate now they're going to be lonely and so there's going to be other realities that they battle with but but pray that uh, trans um you know if it's a minor child then then I I I would hope that the Presbyopia would not be, you'd be able to see what's right in front of you. I, I don't know of anybody at Greenwich that this is confronted with this, but your, friend, you may, your children may have friends or your grandchildren may have friends who are transitioning, okay? So this is a reality that's all around us. It uh, will be inescapable. Every family will be, um, know somebody who's transitioning. And so re- have a heart of sympathy and compassion for this individual, whether they be young or old understand that their life is hard to bear the dysphoria meaning hard to bear the that incongruence life not feeling like they fit not feeling like they're connected to who they are how god has made them they may not believe in god right they may have some of that folly of not believing in god and so pray that they might come to know god uh, through that um as i advocated earlier play the long game right try to be curious and not judgmental is what I would say. Don't, why do you want to do that? Say, tell me about that. How, how, if you, if you have occasion to be in conversation, how you doing? Uh, you know, praying for you, uh, want to support you as best I can. You know, this is, you know, this is new to me. I think there, I think we can be humble and open at that level. This is all new to me. So I'm trying to learn, you know, try to indicate that, there's love and support and compassion and kindness uh, from you towards this person. You're in relationship with them. Again, we're not talking about fictional people. We're trying to talk about loving real people that were in relationship. So this, this is somebody you know that is experiencing this or expressing this. And so that's, that's why I'm counseling real live conversation. Um, I I shared this phrase some uh, months ago, if not years ago. might have been a year or two ago. The the Latin phrase, salvatur ambulando, salvatur, to solve ambulando by walking. It is solved by walking through it. It's this notion of life as a journey, life as a pilgrimage, and some things we're just not going to know today. But we just keep moving, one foot at a time, one step at a time, one day at a time, and so I really believe if you have a family member, friend, coworker, neighbor, etc., somebody in your circle of relationships that's meaningful to you, it, it's mostly going to be solved, quote unquote, solved, by walking through it. Walk with them. Walk alongside them. You, you, they may not want you to walk too close to them because they may perceive you not to be. As supportive as they would wish. But you're going to walk through it also, particularly if this is your child or grandchild. There's nothing you can do but walk through it. Don't cut them off. Don't refuse to speak to them. That this would not be the way of Jesus. Jesus would move towards, right? Jesus moved towards the outcasts. And so read, get curious. And just keep walking, just keep walking it, it, it through with them. Uh, you're playing the long game, recognizing that they're short game realities that you may or may not have influence on. Um, find others to talk to. Uh, I'd be happy to be one of those, but I don't feel like I have to be. There are others more faithfully and, and e- equipped and trained. But you know, I would. But I think there would be some wisdom in talking it through with your pastor. Obviously, it would be confidential. Um, I'm always open to talk to uh, another individual, but I suspect, you know, a lot of folks, I, I have no expectation that somebody would want to do that. So it's a long game reality. We're going to walk it through. We're going to salvatur ambulando. And we're going to pray it through, and we're going to love as best we can, okay? And, and so th- just it just brings me to the last thought, just for a moment, if we can get adventurous about this thing, and by the, I don't mean to make light of the challenge, the profound challenge that this is to our individual lives. If you have someone that you're walking it through with, and, and I don't want to uh, be dismissive or, or or diminish the the reality of our society, the very great challenge that this is. For those who are in workspaces where if you say anything other than the narrative you risk consequence uh, for your job so this is real and so was the life of god's people that we read in scripture the exile was real it happened Um, the the wilderness experience the 40 years of trying to get to the promised land were real and there are lessons we can learn there these scriptures are given to us that we might discern these things so when i say get adventurous what i mean is to look at this as an opportunity to deepen your life in christ which makes me loop back to chesterton why do we think following christ should be easy of course it's hard taking up the cross is hard denying ourselves is hard denying I want to say something. I want to judge them. I want to just never talk to them again. It's hard to control your emotions. It's hard to control your tongue. It's hard to control your impulses. That's the denying yourself for the sake of Jesus. Lord, help me. I don't want to be judgmental. I don't want to be sharp-tongued. I want to be wise and humble and walk it through. And so I I close with... um, uh, a, a saying from or a, a line from uh, C.S. Lewis's um, *The Last Battle*, the seventh of the *Chronicles of Narnia* series. Uh, children's books, ostensibly, but they carry great weight for uh, all great lessons for believers of all ages. And this is a false Aslan arises in in Narnia, and it's not understood at first, um, and. And so as this becomes known, as the destruction starts to unfold, uh, the king um, turns and, and says, let us go and take the adventure that Aslan is sending us. Let us take the adventure that Aslan is sending us. And so this is, this is an adventure that we are in, that as our God, Aslan is the Christ figure, the lion uh, in that story. God is not surprised by what's going on in human society. In fact, it could be one possible interpretation of Romans chapter 1 is that when humans reject God, they turn away from the creator and worship the creature rather than the creator. When they Say in their hearts, there is no God. When there's a denial and a rejection, you see God's power and majesty on display, Romans 1 says. So when you begin to turn away from God, when worship gets corrupted, the human condition expresses itself through twisted sexuality. Men exchanging natural relationships with women for natural relationships with men and receiving in their body the due penalty of their error, it says in Romans 1. I'm not making this up. And so it says, God gave them over. I believe it's three times. God gave them over. God gave them over. We may be living in a given over culture. As our culture de-churches, we're seeing all the stats. People are turning away. Increasingly young people, the same people who are being afflicted by the You know, the desire to transition and be something other than they are that are identifying, you know, in a non conforming way are the same people who aren't going to church anymore. (laughs) And, And so we may be living in a God giving them over moment. So this may be the adventure that Aslan is sending us. be Christians at this moment in our nation's history, and then the church in our nation's history, the American church, which has a rich history of awakenings and revival and evangelism and spread, and now the church in America is shrinking, it's contracting, and is there any wonder that we're seeing other things arise? Correlation may not be causation, I, I recognize that. And so see this as an opportunity. Can we see the moment? It's going to drive us to our scriptures. It's going to drive us to our knees. It's going to drive us to, ex- to pick up our cross. It's going to drive us to deny ourselves. It's going to drive us to learn how to love in ways that we've maybe never loved before. And so how do we love without giving away the truth? How can we rejoice in the truth while at the same time being patient and persevering and, and loving? So, Let us rise and take the adventure that our God is sending us in this moment, okay? Let's pray and we'll we'll, we'll close out tomorrow. Holy God, thank you for the the wonder of the gospel, the mystery of the gospel that you sent your own son entered this world. And at times you do uh, hand your people over, you give them over. Israel to the exile, uh, to the wilderness experience, and perhaps your church uh, at, at such a moment as this. And so, teach us to love, teach us to, to trust, teach us to obey, teach us to see what is right in front of us and to have the courage to speak uh, the reality uh, around all this. And so, for those who have family members, friends, co-workers, neighbors, Oh, teach us to love and to pray and to care for them as you care for us. As we pray in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. May God give you fresh eyes to see his truth and his glory and his wonder and the beauty of the image bearers all around you, known as your neighbors. May he give you fresh ears to hear the words and winds of the Spirit blowing to you. And may he give you a fresh heart to love God and to love your neighbors yourself. May he do it this day and forevermore. Amen.